This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. I want to start off today and I want to talk to you guys about this message that the Lord has prepared for us called Death is Not the End. I believe death is not the end of the story. I believe death doesn't have to be the end of your story. Maybe 2020 brought serious death into your life. Maybe you lost a loved one or a friend, or maybe you lost your business, or maybe you lost people that you loved that were here in this valley that moved away. I know I did. A whole bunch of people on our team when we started. They all gone now. But maybe 2020 was a year of death, and maybe it was a year of trouble. Maybe it was a year of frustration or confusion, or maybe just things just didn't happen or materialize the way that you wanted to. I know that I'm preaching to myself tonight because that was my story. But I believe death is not the end. Death doesn't have to be the end. And for some of you, you've already gone through some death. You've already lost a loved one or a spouse, or you've been married and you got divorced, or you had a family member die, or maybe someone turned their back on you and betrayed you and betrayed your trust. Maybe it was a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it was somebody who rejected you. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe none of those things. And maybe 2020, you're flying high as a kite, baby. But I believe that death doesn't have to be the end of our story. So regardless of how it comes and regardless of how it shows up at our doorsteps, come on, I believe that in Jesus Christ, there is resurrection power. There is resurrection life. There is opportunities for new mercy, new grace, new beginnings. And so I want to tell you here, if you're here tonight and you're worried about what other people think about you, I just want to tell you this. God doesn't care about what other people think about you. He doesn't care about your past. He cares about your future in him. And that's the invitation we have in Christ Jesus. It's to come into a relationship with the only one who conquered sin and death. The only one who overcame. And I'm excited about next week because next week you're going to hear from my father-in-law, Pastor Jim Shadler is going to be with us. And he's going to bring the hammer down. I'm telling you, he is doing a message on the evidence of the resurrection. So if you're here tonight and you're not fully convinced about what I'm about to say, come back next week and get your mind blown. Because he is going to blow your mind with how much historical evidence there is for the resurrection of Jesus. But I'm not going to preach his message tonight as much as I want to. I'm going to preach my message. And I want to start off with this statement, number one today. By considering the life of Jesus, we are invited to experience what being human is really all about. You see, the world has a version for you, has a narrative for you, and you can buy into it. The world has a way of doing life that seems good from the outside looking in. I know because I've tried it, and maybe you have too. But I believe that Jesus came to show us how to really live. He came to show us what it means to really flourish as a human being as an afesh, as a soul, like we've been talking about the last few weeks. And he wants us to understand what being human is really all about. You see, Jesus came as fully God, but also fully man. That's our theology. That's one of the doctrines of the church. We believe that. Fully God, fully man. How does that work? I don't know. We can dissect it like scientists. We can get down to the anatomical level, the ontological level, but I'm not here to worry about that tonight. All I know is that God sent his son into the world, not to condemn it, but to save us, to love us, come on, to show us what it means to flourish and to thrive as a human being. And maybe that's where you're at tonight, is just beginning to consider maybe the life of Jesus. What am I talking about? Well, did you know that God had a plan for your life before you were even born? 
Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16 says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mom's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Did you guys know that God had an intricate design for your life? Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed goop. Wait, substance. And in your book were written every one of them. The days, that was a really bad joke. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. You see, before you existed, God already had a plan in mind for your life. Every Christian starts with this framework. God knew me before I was born, and he had a plan for my life. And I'm here to tell you tonight that God has a plan for your life. Regardless of what the world says, regardless of its narrative, regardless of how it wants you to conform to its pattern, God has a promise and a hope and a purpose for your life. The psalmist knew that God was up to something miraculous when he thought about creating you and thought about creating me. He knew that he had purpose in his heart for what our lives could look like in the hands of a master sculptor. I like Isaiah 64 because it echoes this sentiment. It likens God to a master potter in our lives. The clay, it says this, but now, O Lord, you are a father and we are the clay and you are the potter and we are all the work of your hand. Anybody do pottery in high school? A few of you, it got a little messy, didn't it? Yeah, any of you um, have that piece from high school up on your mantle now that you're real proud of? No, none of us do, right? We all made a whole bunch of messes for those of you that took pottery. I don't know why that's even a thing, but it is apparently. But the Bible says that, that our lives are like clay and that we are being sculpted in the hands of a master potter, meaning he has a perfect purpose and design for your life and he wants to sculpt you according to what he already thought about when he made you. Unfortunately, and we can all probably bear witness to this truth, every single one of us has gone our own way to do life on our own terms. The scriptures call this selfish act of rebellion and this posture or this attitude of the heart sin. And you know how I spell sin? S-I-N, self-inspired narrative. When you buy into the story that life is all about you and that you're the hottest and that you're the greatest and that it's all about what you want, getting what you want, accumulating what you want, making what you want, putting off the image that you want, getting all that you think you deserve and need and want, then you've bought into a self-inspired narrative. You've bought into sin. And essentially the word sin comes from the old word meaning to miss the mark. Archers used to use this term back in the day. Hello, when they, sorry, Gary, when they would pull the arrow back and release it at the target, if they missed the mark, it was called a sin, S-I-N. They were missing the target of what God had in store for them. And that's what happens when you and I miss the target of what God has in store for us. It must be a really important call. You got it, Gary. Go save the world, brother. And tell him I said hello. Tell him Pastor Jason said hello. All right. <laughs> So all of us, at some point in our life, have bought into this, right? A story about us, for us, made by us. And it's all about us. And there's no room for God. And Jesus comes along and he flips the script on our humanity. And he says, no, no, no. I have a story that I want to tell you about a master potter who has been sculpting from the beginning of time, who's been designing and masterfully working within creation. And you're a part of that plan. You're a part of that design. You're part of that picture. 
And there's a story and with it a way of doing life, a way of living, of being human that I want to lead you in. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, a self-inspired narrative will always lead you in the way of death. But Jesus came to show us the way of life. He came to show us the way that God wanted us to operate. Romans 3.23 reminds us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God. Every single one of us has bought into our own self-inspired narrative. But Jesus interrupts our stories and our obsession with ourselves, and he offers us something outside of ourselves that we can grab a hold of. I'm talking about resurrection tonight. You see, by considering the life of Jesus, we are invited to experience the way of Jesus this way that I've been alluding to. And if I could sum it all up for you, and I will, it would be this, the love of God in Christ Jesus. The love of God in Christ Jesus. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever, that whoever, that whoever, doesn't matter what you've done, that whoever doesn't matter where you're at, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Friends, Jesus came to show us the way to eternal, everlasting life. And he did it through the way that he loved us, through the way that he loved the world. When he touched lepers that others wanted to socially distance their lives from, he showed us the way. When he cared for the poor and the brokenhearted, he showed us the way. When he affirmed the outcasts and the marginalized among his closest followers, he showed us the way. When he healed the sick and gave sight to the blind, he showed us the way. And when he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, he showed us the way. Ultimately, when Jesus went to the cross at Calvary for your sin and for my sin, he showed us the way. Beloved, our hope is in this Jesus. And I believe that through his ministry, through the the application of his own life, He makes a way for us to truly live, to truly come together alive in him. Our hope is in this Jesus who also, through his scandalous death, now shows us what needs to still die in us. Number two today, by considering the death of Jesus, we are invited to encounter what still needs to die in me. And in you. See, Paul, one of the early church apostles, a true church planning pioneer, said this in his letter to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life, hello, or by death. And he goes on to make this claim for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. What would make a man like Paul say this? This was a notorious terrorist of Christians. He was responsible for the death and murder of many Christians. What would make a man like Paul, a Pharisee among Pharisees, educated to the highest degree, civilized and put together, say this? What would make him change his mind? 
You could make the argument, as some have, that he was crazy. He was out of his mind. But when you look at his life, and you consider the kind of person that Paul was before his encounter with Jesus, you don't get the sense that he was all that nuts. You kind of get the sense that he had some ideas about the way things should work. But isn't that kind of how our lives are when we worry about what we want our lives to look like? We want our lives to be put together. We want to esteem our education. We put on a show and we put all of our identity and stuff and things and status and people and relationships because we want to be thought well of within our own communities. At least here in the West, we do. We take all sorts of pride in our stuff, don't we? Our jobs, come on, our marital status, our Facebook status, our Instagram, all the stuff that we, that we invest our lives in. And what are we trying to do, right? We're trying to accumulate. We're trying to make something of ourselves. When Jesus is offering us death, he's offering us the way of the cross. It's not a popular way. If you thought you were going to come in here tonight and hear a message of self-help, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But if you want what Jesus has for you, then there's something in you that still needs to die. On top of this, I think part of our problem in the West is that we're just so, we're so overly obsessed with success. We want to promote and project the image of success with our lives, don't we? The problem is, is that we're still afraid. The problem is, is that we're afraid to die. We're afraid to not measure up. We're afraid to disappoint mom or dad. We're afraid to be rejected by our boyfriend or girlfriend. We're afraid of not living a meaningful life, right? We all want our life to count for something. But deep down, we're still holding on. We're still clinging to this fear, and we're afraid to die. My friends, I want to suggest to you today that death is not the end, and it doesn't have to be the end of your story. Paul knew this because Jesus knew it. Jesus suffered everything that you and I will ever suffer, and then some. He experienced excruciating pain, excruciating loss, excruciating betrayal, excruciating heartbreak. They actually invented the word excruciating for this kind of pain. It means ex-cross, from the cross. The pain was so severe that Jesus encountered and went through and suffered that they had to come up with a whole new word just to describe it. And Jesus willingly laid down his life and endured this for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross for us. Now imagine with me just for a moment what it must have been like to be there and to be Jesus, who's given his whole life to healing the sick and helping the poor and loving people and doing miracles and bringing them life. Imagine what it would be like for him to give his whole life to that, only to have those same people turn around and beat him and mock him and spit on him and drive nails through his hands and his feet and utterly crucify him. Now imagine with me for a moment that you're there 
And Jesus utters these words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. See, the reality of the cross is death. And Paul, who encountered Jesus and had his whole life turned upside down, knew this. He knew that for him to live was Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory. But to die was gain. Here Jesus is back at the cross experiencing the worst that you and I could do to him, the worst that humanity could do, the absolute worst. And his heartbeat in the midst of all of this death is forgiveness? That's not what you and I do when we go through tough times, when people make us mad, right? Our heartbeat ain't forgiveness, but it should be. And Jesus is here experiencing the worst that that people could do to him, and he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, death was not the end of his story. That's why he could say the kind of things he said and did the kinds of things he did because he wasn't afraid to die. He wasn't afraid to back up his claims. He wasn't afraid to endure all the things that we could do to him because he knew that death wasn't the end. Ultimately, death is coming for all of us, but we don't have to fear it. And if your hope this living hope that we've been singing about tonight is in Jesus, you don't have to fear it. You don't have to fear it. You don't have to fear it. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to live one more minute on this planet afraid. But what has happened in 2020? A self-inspired narrative came along with the intent of bringing everybody into fear. Afraid to die? Certainly at the top of the list. But I'm sure we could add a whole lot of other things as well. And Jesus, in the midst of death, in the midst of pain, in the midst of agony, offers forgiveness? You see, to forgive is to give up that need for control, isn't it? It's to relinquish your life and the control of it. Problem is, a lot of times when we're hurt, we want to be vindicated. We want to feel right, right? We've been wronged. We want to feel right. We want justice. To forgive is what we call sweet surrender. It's to surrender to the way of death. The death of Christ. Jesus knows that unless we embrace the cross and follow him in this way of death, we're never going to truly live. Because our life will still belong to us. Because our life will still be our own. We'll still be holding on to it, trying to control it, trying to steer it, trying to manage it. And meanwhile, manipulating everybody else around us. Jesus wants us to embrace death as an opportunity. Hear me on this. To truly face that part of our life that needs to die. And here it is, our own self-interest our own self-interest. The truth is, most of us put ourselves first every single day. We do it all throughout the day, right? It's all about me, 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 me. But in Christ, the invitation is to lay down the rights to yourself, friends. It's to lay down the rights to your own self-interest. It's to take up your cross and to follow him. Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? In other words, you want this life that I came to give you? Then here's what it's going to cost you, everything. Your life. Are you willing to die? 
Are you willing to lay it all down? Are you willing to go where I tell you to go? Are you willing to do what I tell you to do? If the answer to that is still no, then you're not ready to be his disciple. And we can play patty cake and we can come to church and we can clap our hands and jump up and down and go out and, just, and be just as lost, just as bound, just as unfree as everybody else. But if you're willing to say yes to Jesus, like we say, you're willing to follow him to the cross, you're willing to die to yourself and to lay down the rights to yourself and say, God, my life is no longer my own. See, Paul knew that. He said, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And the only way that we're going to experience that, guys, is by coming to the cross. Can I encourage you today to trust that your yes to God means that he might just have something better for you than you managing your life? by you steering your own self-inspired narrative? Can I encourage you to trust that maybe death isn't the end that you think it is? When God asks us to give something up, oftentimes we think that's the end of it, right? But what we don't trust God with is that maybe if we're willing to let go of what's in our hands, God will put something in our hands that's better. The metaphor is he'll help us to experience more of life than we ever possibly could imagine trying to do it our way trying to do it on our terms, trying to find the shortcuts and the loopholes. Death is not the end. It's not the end of the story. People of God, in Christ Jesus, death is really an intermission. It's an intermission to, to what comes next, life after, life after death. Did you catch that? Life after, life after death. You see, there's a hope and a future that we have in him that goes a little bit further than just the, the few short years that we're here on this planet, that we're here on this earth. I'm talking about resurrection. I'm talking about what comes after death. Number three, and finally today, by considering the resurrection of Jesus, we are invited to experience a spiritual rebirth. The Bible calls us being born again. Listen to what Jesus said about it in John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What signs? Healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, set people free, worked miracles, and Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, being like you and I, was a bit confused. And he said, how can a man be born again? Can he jump back into his mother's womb and be born? Ladies, that might be a little painful. But Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So don't marvel, don't freak out that I said to you, you must be born again, because the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone, with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I want to say this, it doesn't matter if you were born this way. It doesn't matter how you came into this world. It matters how you're going to leave it. And Jesus is clear on this. The only way that you and I will ever experience the kingdom of God 
or we could even say the way or the life of God is by being born again, what the scriptures here call being born of the spirit. Some translations say being born from above. This idea that something from outside of you has happened to you. Something of God has touched you from outside yourself. You and I don't save ourselves. And you can't unsave yourself either. Because the work of Jesus is finished. And it's done. And when he comes and you say yes to him, and you respond to the work of his spirit, pulling at your heart, tugging at your soul, when you respond to that work in your life, the invitation is to die so that you can be reborn in him, so that you can be born of the spirit. All of us have come into this world born of the flesh, but Jesus wants us to be born of the spirit. There's something that God wants to do from outside of you that happens inside of you. I'm not just talking about a conversion. I'm not talking about being converted. I'm talking about transformation. I'm talking about you're now a different person. You're now different than you were before. I'm here tonight not because I signed up for a program in a club. I'm here tonight because Jesus kicked down the walls of the prison that I was in. He set me free from the deception that I was living under. My obsession with myself and my good works. You see, you can miss the grace of God on account of your good works. Many people think it's my good works that are going to get me to heaven. It's my good works that are going to help me experience the kingdom. It's my good works that attract God's favor and his presence into my life. No, it's not. It's only the grace of God. It's only his grace and his grace alone. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't merit it with your good works. But you know what you can do? You can freely receive it. <laughs> like a gift. I think about Christmas morning, and I think about the joy of being a child unwrapping a gift. Anybody remember those days being real small when your parents put all the presents under the tree? I was a little bit of a freak. I would go down and like sleep next to the tree because I wanted to catch them like in the act. But do you guys remember being like a child and experiencing the wonder of unwrapping that gift? Not knowing what was inside? not knowing what it might be, but knowing that you didn't buy it. Well, unless you're married now, you have to buy each other gifts and that's kind of how that works. But as a child, unwrapping that gift that you couldn't buy, that you couldn't earn, that you couldn't do, right? This is what we try to do to children. We manipulate them. If you're not good, Santa's gonna give you coal instead of presents, right? So we all start off with this narrative that's broken. I better get my act together. I better save myself. I better act good and be a contributor to society and not get out of line because I'm not going to get whatever that gift is. Do you see how insidious that seed is and how it starts at such a young age? But what does God do? God comes along and he goes, no, 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 my child, I have a gift for you and it's going to blow your mind and you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You don't deserve it because I've seen your year. <laughs> I've seen what you thought was hidden. I see when you go to the computer and log into Pornhub.com, when you think nobody knows because you clear the history. I see you watching soft porn on Netflix. I see you doing things behind people's backs that you think you're getting away with, but I see it all. They did get one part of the story right. Santa knows when you're sleeping, when you're being good, when you're being bad. See, God knows all that. And here's the cool part. He's not intimidated by it. 
He's not put off by it. Our obsession with shame and guilt is because we've bought into the wrong narrative. We have a father in heaven who loves us, who accepts us in the beloved, who says, I've already taken care of your sin problem. You just don't know it yet. Some of you are still bound because you don't know that you have a father in heaven who's already taken care of your sin problem. He's already taken care of your self-inspired narrative by coming and dying on that cross. And the good news or the story or the narrative or what we call the gospel is the power of God to change and transform your life. I'll say it again. This isn't about conversion. This is not about joining a club or being a part of a church even. This is about you experiencing the life of God. The gift of salvation is that. It's a gift. It's free, but it ain't cheap because it costs Jesus everything. It costs Jesus his entire life to lay it down for you and to lay it down for me. But it is a free gift. And all you have to say is yes and thank you. Yes, God. I'll receive this and thank you for dying on that cross for me. We talk about the grace of God and we love the grace of God. We love the free gifts of God. But I'm also astounded by the mercy of God. You see, there's a difference between grace and mercy. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Are you tracking with me? All of us deserve hell. God doesn't have to put us there. We already deserve it and we've already chosen it. But because of his great mercy, because of his great love, we don't get what we do deserve. We get what we don't deserve. We are recipients of grace and mercy from a father who saw his lost children making a mess in the sandbox, who came to save each and every one of us from ourselves. You are saved first and foremost from yourself. Maybe you're here tonight and you would say, Pastor Jason, I am destroying my life. I am making things fall apart. I am a destructive force in my own family. Jesus wants to set you free from that tonight. He wants to bring you into a relationship of love. Maybe you're here and you're still caught up in addiction or maybe you've, you've just bought into this idea that hope is lost. And I'm here to tell you tonight, hope is very much alive because Jesus is alive. So regardless of your story, we serve a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth and tenth to the exponential degree chances. You can't exhaust his love. You can't exhaust his grace. You can't exhaust his mercy. It's new every day. So even if you think you've come to the end of it today, well, guess what? Hold on. Tomorrow's coming. Tomorrow's going to be here. And with it, new mercy and new grace for you. That's what he wants to do with us. He wants to set us free from ourselves so that we can experience this rebirth and this resurrection that we're talking about. I've come to discover this about Jesus as we close. That what he's done for others, he will do for you. Have you guys experienced that? Have some of you guys found that to be true? 
I believe you can bet your life on it because Jesus bet his life on it. And he backed up every claim by coming back from the dead. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, then we wouldn't be here tonight. I know I wouldn't be. Because the single greatest event in history that changes everything for you and for me is resurrection. Paul says this about it in 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, right? We're all going through the motions here. And your faith is in vain. Better not get your hopes up. But, verse 20, skipping ahead, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning who have died. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, our foreparent, our great-great-grandparent, all die, so also in Christ shall all, shall all, shall all be made alive. Friends, ultimately, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then you will be raised as well. That's the promise that we have. That's what the church used to call our blessed assurance. The hope that we have. Christ has been raised. He is risen. He is alive. And guess what? He still saves. He ain't done. He ain't done. Friends, there's only one that can save you from the grip of sin and death, and it's Jesus. There's only one who can do what needs to be done in your heart, and it's Jesus. He's the only one that has the power to conquer sin and death in you because he's the only one that ever conquered sin and death. It takes a risen savior to save. Your crystals can't save you. Deepak Chopra can't save you. Joseph Smith can't save you. You can't save you, but Jesus can because Jesus has the power to save. I wonder if tonight might be your night to say yes to Christ. Maybe you're here and you've never responded to the work of Jesus. Maybe you've been fooling around around the camp of God and God's calling you to come in from the cold and take a seat at his table of grace. Guess what, guys? He's got a seat at his table and it's got your name on it. And if you haven't responded to that invitation tonight, I want to give you the opportunity tonight to make the greatest decision that you'll ever make. It's not the only decision. It's one of many decisions. It's not the only step. It's one of many steps. But I want to lead you in a first step prayer tonight. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, believe in your heart, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no question mark there, guys. You will be saved. For with the heart we believe and we're justified like Matt was talking about earlier. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Ultimately, God's not going to force you to confess or believe anything. It's your choice. But he's put the present under the tree. And he says, it's yours. It's got your name on it. You're welcome to open it up. Tonight, if you're here in this place and you've never said yes to Jesus, yes to what we call salvation, yes to what we call following him, we use a lot of terms, but the idea is this. If you're ready to die, you're ready to go to the cross and say, my life no longer belongs to me, but Jesus, fill me with yours, then I want to lead you in this prayer. And it's simple. It goes like this. Jesus, Savior, save me. Save me from my self-inspired narrative. 
Save me from all the things that keep me bound that I think nobody knows about, but you see it. Save me from my desire to lust after material things, unhealthy things, things that are not a part of your design and plan for my life. Save me. Jesus, save. I believe tonight that you are the Son of God. I don't understand it, but I believe it. And I confess that you died on that cross for me and that God raised you to life again. Resurrection life. Let it be mine. Let it not just be ink on a page or a story that we tell once a year, but let it happen in my heart. Bring this dead man to life. Bring this dead woman to life. Jesus, save me. Save me from the wrath to come. Save me from the mess I'll make. Save me. Jesus, I ask that now you would come in this moment and fill me with resurrection life, with the power of your Holy Spirit all the days of my life. And make all things Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.